If you would remain standing as I read God's word, I'm going to read from 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning. And um, I'm sure if the mic doesn't get sorted out, they'll bring me another one. But if we could focus on these words, 1 Kings chapter 18, this is what is written. And Elijah said to King Ahab, go up, eat and drink. For there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little loud like a man's hand, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the seed. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you're seated, please turn there with me. 1 Kings chapter 18. As you're turning there, let me say, it is great to be with you this morning. Pastor Chris, please be in prayer for him. He is preaching at a church on the west side of the state this morning. And I am very energized and excited to be with you because this is my first Sunday back after a couple months of a break. Uh, The church was so gracious in allowing me some time away from ministry with my family. And uh, so we're, we're happy to be here. We are happy for this church family, this community of faith. And after walking about 65 miles and climbing about 17,000 feet out west, I learned that I really love living in Michigan. It's a great place to be. I was out in Colorado and we literally went up to the top of a few mountains and I realized I like breathing real air because you can't really breathe very well on the top of these 14,000 foot mountains. And when you're in such a dry climate, it's like I've never used so much chapstick in my life. I don't even, I don't buy chapstick. I'm not a chapstick person, but I went through all kinds of it out there. And then we eventually made our way down to Phoenix, Arizona. And I don't know why anyone wants to live there. Like, why is that a retirement destination? It's like you go there and you literally just shrivel into a raisin. And I think that's part of the thing. I guess if you're getting older, you just go there and you just look like everybody else, just shriveled up and, and that's it. It's so dry, it's 115 degrees, it was crazy. So I came back here and I'm like, there's water. And there's oxygen in the air, and it's just wonderful to be here. And I was just thankful for our church family as well. I believe that God wants to move in your life today. Not tomorrow, not this afternoon, but today through his word. That he has a message for you. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to leave this place empowered by his spirit. So I hope that you came to worship this morning with expectation and not simply going through motions. You know, we had some literal mountaintop moments while we were out west and we had some terrible disappointments as well. We had great days and hard days. We had peace and conflict. We had joy and sorrow. 
And I've got too many stories to share, many ways that the Lord showed up in just powerful, powerful ways in my life and our families. But I've been reminded that God's ways are not my ways. And my will does not always align with his. I took a complete break, really probably for the first time in my adult life from social media. So I haven't been on it in like 10 weeks. It's been awesome. <laughs> like it's been so great. So no post, no reading. My wife and I like put the screen time on each other's phone. So, you know, it was basically removed. And I tried to use that time to instead uh, spend it hearing from the Lord, writing down pages and pages of prayers. And some were big and audacious and some were small and insignificant. And some were answered in ways that blew away my expectations. And others were answered with the exact opposite outcome that I was asking for. And some were left totally unanswered. And then God gave some answers to questions I wasn't asking. And honestly, from our perspective, sometimes it looks like it's so random that you might be left wondering, does prayer actually change anything? If these were answered and these weren't and these ended up the opposite and these things got answered that I never even talked to him about, like what is really going on in the midst of all of this? Do, do my prayers actually matter? Well, maybe you've noticed uh, whenever hard or painful or intimidating situations show up in people's lives, that, that people, human beings, we instinctively pray. It doesn't matter whether you have faith in Jesus or faith in some other name or faith in yourself or faith in nothing in particular. When you're desperate and you realize no human solution will do, almost as naturally as breathing, you see human beings say, God, help me. God, hear me. God, answer me. Now, I, I like all kinds of music. I love worship music, of course, but I've been, forgive me, a country fan since I was 14 years old. And maybe you've heard of Jason DeFord. His mom used to call him Jelly Roll because he was kind of chubby. And the name stuck. Uh, he's released a, a song late last year called Need a Favor. It was the first song to ever go number one in both mainstream rock and mainstream country. And I think it's honesty. I think it's honesty captures the spiritual temperature and feeling and the spiritual reality, really, of so many people in the church and our culture. I'm going to make it a little bit more PG and use a euphemism in place of a word that he might use. But here's what the chorus says. I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the heck am I, who the heck am I, to expect a savior if I only talk to God when I need a favor? But God, I need a favor. God, I think you're real, and I don't talk to you too much, and I, I don't listen to you too much, and I'm, I'm not seeking you very much, and I'm not always sure what Jesus has to do with you, and I'm not sure I deserve to be saved or listened to, but, but will you help me? And then listen to the words of the bridge, hanging in there just barely, throwing up prayers like Hail Marys. If you're still there, Lord, spare me. Oh my God, oh my God, Hail Mary. 
The belief is basically, I, I ran out of options, so I'll throw up this Hail Mary, and, and, and God, maybe you'll catch the pass, maybe you won't. Maybe you'll hear me, maybe you won't. And I really think that's what people, so many people, both within the church that claim their Christian faith and outside of it, actually think about God in prayer. It's just a last option. And maybe you think about that question then, does your prayer matter? Does it change anything? Maybe before you answer that question or before you cast it aside, and say, of course it does, of course it does. Well, you're in church, you know the biblical answer. Let, let me ask this question then. Have you been praying this summer like your prayers matter? Have you been praying in such a way that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your prayers change things? Do you pray with anticipation? Do you pray with a faith that trusts there is actual power in your petition? Do you pray with the confidence that God hears and he will respond in his way and in his time? Now in the New Testament book of James chapter five, James is instructing the church about prayer. And he uses Elijah's example right there from 1 Kings 18 that we read this morning to make his point. He says in James chapter five, starting in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person, he's talking about Elijah, but really it extends to any person who is following Jesus, has great power as it is working. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit, new life. This is the bold claim of Christianity and the biblical witness. The prayer of a person living right with God is powerful, it is effective, and it is something to be reckoned with. James is saying when your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength are all aligned with God's, then watch out because he will move through your prayers. It's not that Elijah was simply exercising prayer and God responded. It's that he was aligned with the word of God and exercised faith in the word of God as he prayed. And as he did that, God responded. Now, maybe you're like me. I don't want to wonder whether God is listening to me. And I don't think you want to wonder that either. I don't think you want to question whether your prayers make a difference. Well, God desires for you to pray with anticipation and then experience the realization of his power. Anticipation, then realization. Now, if you believe the testimony of scripture and faith, you might be thinking, but this is Elijah. He was a prophet, lived at a different day, different time. He's chosen by God to be God's messenger for God's people. His life was full of the miraculous. I mean, his prayer brought about a 42-month drought. It's pretty miraculous. Birds, it's like the cover of the series. It's the image. They brought him his food. Have ravens done that for you lately? Just brought you dinner? God refilled his jar of flour and jug of oil over and over and over so he would not run out of food. His prayer literally raised a boy back to life. 
His prayer brought fire down from heaven to consume the bull on the altar. He never died, in fact. God took him up in a whirlwind, the scripture says. So you might be thinking, I'm not like him. But turn to your neighbor and say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Just say it to him this morning. Yes, you are. You are like Elijah. How do I know? James chapter 5, verse 17. Look at the words there again. It was on the screen a second ago. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Our tendency to embrace Christian celebrityism isn't just extended to preachers on our podcast today that we think have some kind of divine resource that God never gave to us. It certainly also extends to the men and women of Scripture itself. And so it's so tempting to say that that's what God has for them. He has something different for me. And by that, we're really saying, I know God's plans for me are not going to be all that interesting. He wants me to live a mundane faith a passive faith that doesn't make too much noise for the kingdom. That's his choice, not mine. So, so yeah, he, he does powerful things in their lives and in, in that man or that woman in him or in her, but, but me, he, you know, I, it's just a little bit more of a comfortable faith, a, a, a simple faith, a faith that doesn't really have much movement to it. Well, says who? Says you? Excuse me, but... Who are you to tell God the limits of your life's potential and capacity for his kingdom and his glory? Maybe he has more for you than you think you have for yourself. Maybe his plans for you are a little bigger, a little grander than whatever you can conjure up in your own imagination. And maybe his spirit is actually empowering you for something beyond what you think you can do. You're really not all that different from Elijah so this rationalization that God couldn't work in us and through us as he does through others falls apart with James' words. Elijah was a person with a nature just like ours. So how do we become people whose prayers are powerful and effective? First, we must pray in alignment with God's word. Let's remember the context here of First. Kings chapter 18. The prophets of Baal had just been defeated. They had just been killed, 450 of them. And the real issue in this chapter was competing systems of religion. In Elijah's day, it was Baalism and what was called Yahwism, or the faith of Yahweh, the name of the Lord in the Old Testament. So Baal, uh, I'm sure you've heard throughout this series, was the Canaanite deity of fertility, the giver of new life. And for the world to experience new life, of course, it needed to rain. So Baal was also worshipped as the rainmaker. Now, when we think of a rainmaker, what do we think of? Somebody who makes it rain, like money. Like, that's a rainmaker. And honestly, that that concept of a moneymaker, a rainmaker, is really not all that different from the worship of Baal. Because think about it, like what were ancient economies of the world built upon? Well, they were built upon the land, the soil. They were agrarian societies. And so if, it, if you had rain, then you had crops. And if you had crops, then you had wealth and prosperity. Now, Baalism was the religious system that taught that you could secure prosperity for yourself. You could become wealthy 
under your own power and control by the manipulation and control of the gifts of the creator. In other words, you could control Baal, the God of fertility, the God of rain, by worshiping him in a certain way. And that means you could control where the rain fell and where it didn't, and when it fell and when it didn't. It was a self-righteous, self-centered, anti-neighbor worldview. So basically, I'm going to manipulate the gods so that I will be prosperous, and I'm going to make sure that my enemies are, are, are no longer given the sustenance and the rain that they need. Let them rot. Let them experience drought. So the big contest of Baal versus Yahweh was really a contest of worldviews. It was a contest of who's in control. Are we? Ultimately, it wasn't even Baal. It was the people manipulating Baal. So are we in control? Are we sovereign or is God sovereign? That's what the contest was about. Is God someone who can be manipulated to fulfill our self-centered impulses? Or is God the loving creator who is deserving of our worship because he cares for his creation? Do we bring life for our glory and good based on our own effort? Or is life given by God and sustained by God for his glory and good? Say what you will, but the truth is Baalism is alive and thriving in 2023 America. It's evolved. It takes on new names. Uh, new concepts, but my friends, don't be blind, nationalistic, self-centered, anti-neighbor individualism that dismisses God's agenda and puts our own agenda on the throne is the foundation of how our broader culture thinks. So this is relevant to our lives, certainly today. And just like ancient Israel, we have to make a choice. So Liza's message was basically, you can't have it both ways to choose Yahweh, uh, the God of the Bible, uh, 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 to choose against him, that is, would have seemed impossible to the Israelites. And it might sound impossible for you. You, you might say, yeah, I would, never, I would never vote against, I would never go against the God of Scripture. But to choose the God of the Bible singularly to say there is no other, no other way, no other truth, no other life seems maybe a little too radical, maybe too costly. So according to verse 21, as Elijah puts it, we limp along on two opinions. One scholar points out that limping meant to participate in a cultic dance in celebration of Baal all at the same time while professing Yahweh as God. Friends, don't you think that this happens in the church and in our culture today? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe in the God of scripture. I profess him as my God, but yes, at the same time, I do this cultural dance and I kind of embrace some of the truths that are sitting out there. It's the same type of compromise. And so to warn them and bring them to a place of repentance, God sends a drought through Elijah. Three some years later, God shows his sovereignty over all creation by bringing fire down from heaven to consume the altar and to defeat the false prophets within Israel. And now that the people had finally realized their ways were all wrong, God will demonstrate his authority. God demonstrates his power by bringing the very thing that they'd been chasing, 
The thing they were trying to manipulate Baal for, God says, no, 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 there's no power there. There's no truth in that way. There's no life in that way. I will now bring you life again. I'll bring rain, new life. And Elijah is right in the middle of this whole drama, just like you and I are today. And Elijah is confident that God is going to give the rain. So he tells King Ahab, notice, there's been no rain. There's no clouds. There's no torrent at this point in time. He says to King Ahab, though, get up, eat and drink. In other words, celebrate, because it's about to rain. For there is a sound of the rushing of rain. How can he be so confident since it hasn't rained in three and a half years? Because God promised it would happen. He heard it before he saw it. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 18. It says, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord came in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. I hear the sound, he says, of rushing rain. I believe it in faith. The nation had been in drought, and before Elijah ever saw a cloud in the sky, before the wind picked up, before the temperature changed, he was already telling Ahab to celebrate. What is faith, friends? What is faith-filled prayer? Think about Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that we have not seen. For by it, the people of old, certainly Elijah being one of those, received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. We hear, even though we don't see, we believe, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So Elijah hadn't seen anything, but he heard something. He heard the word of God, and that's all he needed. He perceived it. He believed it. He anticipated what God was going to do before God did it because God said it. That's my prayer. Just God, give us that kind of faith. Give us the kind of faith that, that comes to your word, hears your promises, and moves in obedience before we see a sign of you moving at all because we know you're going to move because you said it. That's faith. That's how Elijah responded in obedience. I love how Francis Chan said it in his book, Crazy Love. He says, true faith means holding nothing back. It means putting every hope in God's fidelity to his promises. And so even though Elijah was fully confident God would fulfill his promise to bring rain, what does he do then in the story? He knows what God's going to do. He tells the king to celebrate what God's going to do. God yet hasn't done it. And then he moves, even though he's assured, even though he's anticipating, and he goes back to that place of worship, back to the top of Mount Carmel, and he prays, holding nothing back. He prays in faith and in alignment with God's word. He bows himself down to the earth, puts his head between his knees, and pleads for God to do what he said he would do. What do prayers sound like that are aligned with God's word, full of anticipation, based upon what we've heard from his scripture? I just wrote a few of them, just word for word, because maybe they're prayers that 
that you need to pray, or maybe they'll speak to your heart, or maybe they'll teach all of us what it means to pray in faith and anticipation as Elijah did. So maybe your prayer sounds something like this. God, you said you would leave the 99 to go rescue the one, Matthew chapter 18. My son or my daughter is wandering away from you, but, but you promise not to lose a single one of your own. You tell me that nothing can snatch your sheep out of your hands, so would you bring them back? You love them more than I ever could. You know them more than I ever will, so, so speak his name, speak her name, and bring them back to you. Or maybe that prayer says, Father, you promised that all things work together for the good of those who love you, those who have been called according to your purpose, Romans chapter eight. I don't see the purpose in this struggle. Maybe that's what you're going through right now. I don't know why I'm in this tragedy. I don't know why I'm experiencing this continued suffering. But I know you will work it out. You called me. You have justified me. You will glorify me by bringing me through this. So I ask that you do it soon. Bring me out of the drought, send the rain. Or maybe it's God, you know what I need and you promised to give it, Matthew chapter six. So help me to give freely. Help me not to be anxious about the things I don't have. Free me from the lie that I won't have enough if I start giving to your kingdom instead of building up my own kingdom. You provide all I need, and all I have is yours. Maybe you need to pray for peace. Maybe that's what's been lacking. It's promised to you in Christ, John 14. Maybe you need to pray for joy. It's escaped your life. It's promised to you in Christ, John 15. Maybe you need to pray for rest in your soul. It's promised to you in Christ, Matthew 11. Maybe you need to pray for God's forgiveness, that, that you can be free from ever feeling condemned by God. That freedom is promised to you through salvation in Jesus, John chapter 3. Pray in alignment with God's agenda and his word, which means getting to know God's word and God's promises, and then just see what he does. It could be salvation, it could be healing, it could be, if not immediate healing, the strength in the midst of suffering. But be sure that as you pray his promises in faith, in alignment with his word, that he will move. How do we become people whose prayers are powerful and effective? Pray in alignment with his word. Second, be persistent. Be persistent. Look at verse 43. And he, Elijah, said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So climb to the top, climb to the summit, and look towards the Mediterranean. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing, blue sky. He said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Elijah has heard from God, <clears throat> but he hasn't seen the result. Again, he's anticipating what God will do, but it hasn't been realized yet. So he says to his servant, I, I, I know this is coming, so, so go up and look towards the Mediterranean Sea. And so the servant goes and he comes back and he says, nothing. Well, go again. Nothing. Yeah, yeah climb back up there again. Nothing. I'd like you to just, you know, get a drink, get a sandwich, go again. Nothing. 
Okay, but, but I want you to go again. Nothing. Would you just climb up there again for me and see if there's a cloud? Nothing. J just keep going. Go again. A little something. Persistence. Persistence in his prayer. St. Augustine said, Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. And I'm curious, I was thinking about this in my life this week, what prayers have you given up on? What prayers have you given up on? You were, you were faithful for a minute, but your anticipation turned into apathy. Jesus knew this would happen to his disciples. That's why he gave them this parable in Luke 18. He begins it saying, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. The point of the parable is that Jesus reminds us that God is not some disconnected, ungodly judge. He's a benevolent father. And anyone here who's a father or a mother for that matter, do your children have a habit of asking for something over and over again, like ever? Does that happen in your house? Like as a parent, I, I thought it was really something that was just like in the, in the infant stage, the toddler stage. And then, then I realized, no, no, it goes all the way through elementary school. And then, and then I started to realize it's not just elementary school, it's through middle school too. And, and, and then I noticed, man, it, it intensifies in high school. It's even more so. And so I look at my children, I'm like, yeah, they ask the same thing a thousand different times. But then I look in the mirror and I'm like, I do the same thing. We never grow out of this. And the way we pray demonstrates what we truly think about God. And if you view God as a giving father, then you won't let up. So how do we become people whose prayers are powerful and effective? We are aligned with his word and promises. We're persistent. And last, we respond to his grace. Look at verse 44. And so he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest you... Uh, lest the rain stop you. In other words, you've got a trip to make King Ahab and it's about to get muddy, so you better go now. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and after 42 months, there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is an odd turn of events. Elijah runs, in essence, 17 miles to beat Ahab to Jezreel. Man, I ran one half marathon, and I don't ever want to do it again. <laughs> like, let alone holding, like, garments. Like, that just sounds terrible. But he runs out in front, and there's symbolism that I'll explain here in a moment. But what I first want you to see, because God's word, nothing's wasted here. He, he goes to meet him in Jezreel. What does Jezreel mean? It, it's a town, a city name that means may God make fruitful. There's been drought. There's been death. You've been chasing after life in all the wrong ways, trying to do it through your own effort, through your own style of worship, through all your own means, through your own self-confidence and self-centeredness, and all it's brought is drought. But now, as you turn towards me, I will bring fruitful life, new life, Jezreel. The point was that God's word then, what's... what's What's Elijah doing out in front of the chariot? 
It's the idea, it's the picture that God's word and God's messenger are now out leading the king. Before, the king was opposed to his word. And in the story, as you continue on, he kind of goes back to that position. But for this moment, for this little moment, it's rebirth. And here's God's word and God's message and God's speaking. And it's leading this man. It's leading this king. And Elijah sees what he had believed all along. His anticipation finally turned to realization. And that is how faith-filled prayer works. Anticipation. Please turn to somebody next to you and say anticipation. Say the word like you mean it. Anticipation. And then say to them, turns to realization. Turns to realization. It turns into realization when it is aligned with the word of God and the promises of God. What we see in Elijah's life is that the prayer of this righteous man is powerful and effective because he was aligned with God's word, because he was persistent, and he responded to the grace of God. The picture is beautiful. The sacrifice of the bull, it represented the sins of the people, and there might have still been like a sizzle on top of that altar. And then God sends a torrential rain, basically in essence saying, your sins are washed away. It's a new beginning. And that might be just the most powerful part of the whole story, that God fulfilled his promises, and his promise was not just to end a physical drought. It was not just to show the people of Israel his power and his sovereignty over idols and false prophets. It was to graciously wash away all their sin and rebellion and invite them into a new season of life. And that is the invitation for you today. Have you responded to God's grace? Because Jesus is the greater Elijah. He prayed in faith. He anticipated the promises of God and he saw the promises of God realized. And because of his powerful and effective prayers, he had the courage to become God's sacrifice for the sins of the world on the altar of the cross. Hebrews 12 tells us that he did it all for the joy that was set before him. The little cloud became the realization of the resurrection. The little cloud became the realization of sitting at the right hand of the Father. The little cloud became the realization of eternal life for every human being that would believe in him. His grace, God's grace, the Father's grace is that Jesus did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. So receive it and start new life. Maybe you've been limping along with two opinions. It's time to choose this day, Christ alone. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a moment. And if that's your heart prompted by the Holy Spirit, I pray that you have the courage to step into faith. And if you are in Christ today, Would you have the courage to say a faith-filled, God-centered, Christ-honoring, big, giant, audacious prayer? Would you take whatever that prayer is that maybe you've put off and you know it's aligned with God's word and it's at the tip of your tongue and maybe, maybe you have a hard time. Maybe you're full of doubt. Maybe you don't even want to say the words because you don't want to be disappointed. Why don't you just take it before God? And we don't practice this all the time in church. We ought to, certainly more. But I just want you to pray. 
That as we worship, as, as the band starts singing, that even in those moments that you would just pray that big, audacious prayer saying, Father, I'm pleading with you. I've been in drought. And I need you to move. I need you to send rain. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting all this time. It's something that only you can do. Will you do it for me? I believe you. I trust you. I'm anticipating what you're going to do. And I will wait to see its realization. <laughs>